Good morning, Origins family. It is great to be back with you. Um, I would like to start by saying we miss everyone so much. I was talking to Stephen and Ashley and John and Neil and, and all the wives and, and husbands of just leadership, and we just conclude we miss you. We're not complaining. We understand that this is necessary for right now, but uh, know that we have been thinking and praying about so for so many of you and uh, trying to reach out to as many of you as possible and just know that you're missed. I hope at the end of this, uh, we all kind of can get to gather back together and realize how special Sundays really are, not just so that we can sing and not just so that we can learn together and take communion together, but so that we can just be together. So take advantage of these times, but also look forward to when we can be back together. This morning is exciting for us. Uh, there, there's going to be at least one first that we're going to try to do today. Uh, at the end of the message, we're going to uh, move into a time of worship through communion. Even though we're scattered, we can still be together, we can be unified, we can be pursuing Jesus together, and we can be remembering Jesus together. And today we're going to give that a shot. So hopefully you got the message to get your bread and to get your juice, and uh, you can go ahead and get that out, have it prepared. Hopefully you have your Bibles out as well. Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26 today. Uh, today kind of serves two purposes. Uh, we're closing out our Let Us Pray series, um, but most importantly, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, which is the kickoff to Passion Week or Holy Week, however we want to call it. Um, and it is kind of the time of year in which we celebrate Jesus marching towards the cross um, for my sin, for your sin, for those who believe. Um, and so there's a lot of celebration tied up in this week. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at today if we're looking chronologically, it would take place around Thursday of Holy Week. Um, and so Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem, uh, riding in on a donkey to fulfill prophecy. They've shouted Hosanna. They've laid down the palm fronds. He's taught in many parables. He's chased the people out of the temple again, uh, taught several various lessons. He's also had Passover with his disciples, um, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so in some ways, it is a perfect closure to our Let Us Pray series because for the past four weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching on what it looks like to pray, the attitude that we should have when we pray. But today, we actually get to go to the source and look at when Jesus prayed, one of many, many times. And, and so while we're not going to teach super heavily on the things that he does here, uh, they're going to be there. And so we may toss out several things. But the main thing that we're going to look at today, the main thing that we're going to think about um, the goal is we just want to think well about Jesus. We want to celebrate Jesus incredibly well today. I think one of the downsides to growing up in a very church culture uh, like we have in the southeast of the United States is that probably over time, uh, maybe we haven't become numb to it, uh, but maybe we've become very used, used to and accustomed to the story of Jesus' death. Um, so I think today... If we look at this well, if we think well, if we take time to, to still ourselves and to really put ourselves into this place that Scripture is going to lead us to, I think, hopefully, man, this should move us. This should do something in us. Uh, we should not be able to recount the story of Jesus' crucifixion like we're reading the business section of the newspaper. So today, before we pray, this is what I'm going to ask that you pray. Uh, pray that God will let you look at this with fresh eyes and a fresh heart and that we could on some level um, feel for Jesus or feel with Jesus 
in this particular place. So I'm going to give you a moment um, just to pray that you would hear from God today, that he would speak to you, and then we're going to jump in and read the text today. God, we love you. Uh, today, uh, we want to celebrate Jesus. Uh, we want to be able to think well, to think clearly, to think concisely about who he was, what he did, and follow the cost of his burden. Um, today, God, I pray that maybe you would speak to some for the very first time, that they would hear the good news of your gospel for the very first time. For the rest of us, God, who have heard it many, many times, who could recount it, who could write it down on paper, who could draw illustrations, God, I pray that we would hear it and it would move us, uh, that we would feel a stirring in our hearts, um, that we would understand the gravity of all of this, and God, it would move us to do two things. It would move us to lament, but it would move us to celebrate. Um, I pray that you speak. Um, thank you, God, for time. Thank you, God, for family. And God, thank you today for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, hoping that you do, open to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 46. I'll give you a minute to get there, and then we're going to uh, read through the entire text, and we're going to go back and talk through them. I will say it's interesting that this is the, the passage today. Um, this is actually the first passage that I ever preached as a really young guy who thought I knew way more than I did. And so it's always fun to return to this text. Um, with great fondness, I remember just the nerves of all of that uh, at a camp in Tennessee when I was probably 23 years old. Um, but today, uh, much older, hopefully a little wiser, um, we're returning to it, and I'm expecting God to say great things. So hopefully you have your Bibles. We're going to start chapter 26, verse 36, and read all the way through 46, and then we'll, we'll talk through it. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer's at hand. So much weight. I think if we can put ourselves in this place for a moment and it doesn't stir something in us, um, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I think something may be wrong. There may be something just not quite right, or maybe we're not dedicating enough of our mental capacity to it or allowing our heart to be invested enough in this idea, but this passage is incredibly heavy. Like, I think during this week, it is important that we celebrate. 
We celebrate well. We celebrate the fact that Jesus came, was born as a man. He lived a perfect life, endured temptation, died death in my place, conquered sin, conquered death, rose. Celebrate. But I think if we look at it well, and there's not a little bit of lament there or mourning there, I think we've missed some of it. I think we've missed a huge chunk of it. Because I think if we, if we don't have a bit of lament or a bit of mourning, maybe somewhere in us we start to begin that, to think that maybe we deserved this gift of grace. Maybe we deserved salvation when the reality is quite different. We deserved far less. We deserved eternal separation. We deserved hell itself. We deserved to be cut off from God. But God, being rich in mercy, according to Ephesians, wanted to make us alive together with Christ. And the only way to do that was through Jesus coming in obedience, coming in sacrifice, and laying down his life willingly. That should cause us to mourn a little bit. But grateful, grateful, I am incredibly grateful that the celebration should overshadow the mourning, but I do have to admit there is still a bit of mourning there. Let's start at the beginning. In verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Gethsemane, it's really, really interesting that this is the place that he chose to sit and pray. It may have been custom. It may have been a popular place to pray. We know that it was late at night. Um, But Gethsemane literally means the olive press or the oil press. It was a place in this garden on the Mount of Olives in which they would take the olives and they would crush them in order to empty them from their oil. That oil was used in everything from uh, religious rituals to, uh, to anointing people for healing to cooking to everything. It would be like uh, Paula Deen and butter. She uses it for everything. Same deal here. Like olive oil was used in every bit of their culture. And it's ironic that Jesus finds the place here, he stops here uh, in the place that is called the oil press or the olive press, a place in which the olives were crushed and released uh, in essence of their lifeblood, just so that the people of this region could eat, so that they could worship, um, so that they could find healing, so that they could give it to people when they come into their house that uh, that had been on the road for a long time so that they would smell a little bit better. It's interesting that he's here. The very first thing that he says is, he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. It says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me or just stay awake with me. Support me while you're awake. He says to them, he says, I am, I am sorrowful even to the point of death. He said, my, my heart I feel like I'm being crushed to the point that it's going to kill me in this place. I think we've, man, we've made the death of Jesus so palpable, um, so conversational that we have forgotten that the cost was so very high. The price was so rich. In this place, we forget that part of the price was that Even now, even before the first lashing, even before the first nail, even before the first mockery, even before the thorns were pressed into Jesus' scalp, even now, he says, it it is killing me here and now. 
He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He said, I just feel like I'm being crushed. I feel like it's killing me. Just stay awake and support me here. Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. We're going to pause right there. One of those many lessons, those miniature lessons about prayer that we're going to get from this particular passage. Uh, A lot like we talked about the attitudes of prayer over the past several weeks. When Jesus prayed, um, he adopted one of two postures most of the time. He normally went away by himself, which we see in the warnings, the first warning of the text that we looked at over the past several weeks. Uh, Go into your closet in private, pray to God in private. Jesus always, for the most part, unless he was blessing food or healing someone, uh, he went away by himself. He went away to a mountain. Uh, In this case, he, he went away a little further from the disciples. But the other thing, the posture that he adopted in this place, it says that he fell on his face or he laid out before God face down like completely prostrate, like the ultimate sign of humility here. The other posture that he would adopt is very often he would kneel, but he didn't kneel like we do, like comfortably on a pad up at an altar. No, he would kneel in the dirt, and most of the time uh, he would most likely lay his head onto the ground, not supported by his hands, incredibly uncomfortable, but just this humble sign of I'm bowing before my father. Ephesians 2 tells us that he loosed or he let go of certain parts of his divinity willingly while he was here, walking as man and walking as God, being uh, just beneath God the Father, choosing to be less than for a while. In this place, even Jesus, even Jesus saw that it was necessary to kneel or to lay before God and to get away. Pretty big lesson. So he said he fell on his face and he prayed. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So cup in, the, in scripture uh, was always used in, in like one of, one of a couple different ways. Um, it could be uh, blessing or disaster in Old Testament. It could be salvation or wrath. But always the universal was cup was always synonymous with like God's divine uh, intent or God's divine appointment for someone. It's probably also very symbolic or synonymous here with God's wrath that was about to be poured on him. And Jesus is simply saying, this is a part we forget about the price. Jesus is simply saying, uh, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want what's coming. But then he said, but that doesn't matter. I want what you want. I think one of the other ways in which we, we forget or we make the sacrifice so palpable was we forget that there was a war going on within Jesus right now. Not that it was ever going to lead him to sin, but there was a temptation because he was fully God and fully man. And this man side of Jesus was being crushed, was being crushed. And, and probably this man side of Jesus was experiencing what we would call fight or flight, but wanted to run, wanted to get away because he saw what was coming. And it may not have even been so much the the pain and the anguish, the physical pain, but I truly believe that for a while when Jesus bore my sin, bore your sin, I do believe that for a while there was silence for the first time and the only time in all of eternity between him and the Father. And I think he saw that and I think it was crushing him to the point of death. He said, it makes me feel like I want to die. And so he goes before his Father the first time and he says, my Father... My father, if it is possible, if there's another way, let this cup, my destiny, and this wrath pass from me. Let another way happen. Nevertheless, 
Not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, but what you want. See, if we don't think incredibly well about Jesus and what he's done, I think it's incredibly easy to forget that the price was so high. So high. More than we could pay. Way more than we could pay. We have racked up such a huge debt. There's no way we could cover it. But Jesus could. Jesus could. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus walking around as God with skin on, blameless, perfect, had to die for me, for you. And it was a price he was willing to pay. There's nothing clean about it. There's nothing easy about it. There's nothing safe about it. But it's so worth celebrating, but yet painful at the same time. Says my, my father, if there's another way, let this pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, he says he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Literally, you could not stay awake with me one hour. It was late. They were tired. They had been going all day long. He said, you couldn't stay up with me one hour. And then we get a peek. We get a peek of what's going on inside of Jesus right now. And we get some direction about prayer. Two for one. Verse 41, he says, watch and pray or stay awake and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. He gives us a clue right here what we need to do to avoid temptation. Like we talked about last week, um, God deliver us from evil. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the end of the, end of the Lord's prayer, right here, he's saying, hey, the way you need to do it, be vigilant and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. Be vigilant and pray. Stay awake, keep your eyes open, and pray. But here is the insight. Because Jesus speaks about his condition. He says, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. There's that war. There's that war. The spirit, God, in Jesus and the flesh in Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. There was a battle going on. He said, the spirit, God in me is ready, is willing, but the flesh is weak and wants to run. Price was huge. Again, for the second time, verse 43, verse 42, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. There's a change in his wording a little bit, it goes from, Father, if there's another way, uh, let me see it, uh, but nevertheless, not what you want, not what I want, but what you want in this. It's much simpler. He's like, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. It's resolute nature of this lion and the lamb wrapped up in Jesus. This idea that he was accepting of what was about to occur, and he's just like, okay. Okay. Verse 43, and again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again that we see in verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, 
your will be done. I think we see just a little more of a glimpse into Jesus and the fact that he prayed it three times, saying the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He cried out to his father three times, Father, if, if this cup can pass from me, if there's another way, uh, let's see that, please. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And then he, he says again, just with less words, more resolute, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He, and then he goes and he says it again. That war, that battle that was raging inside is causing him just to reach. But here's the beauty of it. No matter the temptation, no matter the, the flesh side of him wanting to flee, the celebration point is that he did it. He did not flee. He did not run. He did not cave. He was resolute. Man, in Luke, it even tells us that there was an, an angel attending to him, taking care of him, strengthening him in the midst of it. God the Father knew the price that was being paid. God the Father knew, so an angel came and was even strengthening Jesus in the midst of this. It also says that uh, he was sweating like great drops of blood, something called hematidrosis, in which at times of great stress, the capillaries in our scalp began to rupture and we began to sweat great drops of blood. Part of me, and I wouldn't write a, a theological paper for seminary on it, but part of me believes, just like Hebrew tells us, that there will be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. I believe that it started here. I believe that the price that was to be paid for my sin and for your sin, I think it even started here. And, and part of me even believes that it's this time in which the sin of mankind was being laid on Jesus, and that was the weight that was crushing him like an olive in this place called Gethsemane beginning to empty him of the thing that we so desperately needed, but the thing that we should lament over, that the weight of my sin would crush Jesus and empty him of the blood that I so desperately needed because without it, there would be no forgiveness of my sin, no remission of your sin. It should make me lament. But I love the last couple of verses. Uh. Verse 45, it says, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on, or, or are you still sleeping? He's like, you can take care of that later. He said, See, the hour's at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. We'll pause right there. From where they were standing, they could see walking up the road were soldiers and troops. Judas with them his betrayer, one of his 12, that he knew would betray him, and he led him. And he says, let's stand up. Verse 46, he says, rise, let us be going. My betrayer's right over there. I love, mm, I love that he said, they're coming, so let's meet them on their way. See, no matter the temptation, of the flesh side of Jesus, the flesh, the 100% man side of Jesus, to run, to flee, to find another way, even though there wasn't. Man, Jesus still got up and he said, let's meet them on the way. Let's save them a few steps. He was determined, determined to be sin, even though he knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God.
big, huge. There's no way around the idea that this price was massive, but the heart of God was bigger. The desire of God to reconcile mankind to himself was bigger. Bigger than the temptation, bigger than the sorrow, bigger than the pain, bigger. I think for us as we enter into this week and as we strive to think well about Jesus and the cost and the price, I think we need to remember that it's greater than we often think. It's greater than we often think. And this is not to elicit great guilt and it's not to elicit just this sense of doom and gloom, but instead it should point us to this idea that we have so much wrapped up in Jesus to be grateful for, to celebrate, to be in a perpetual sense of thank you God for your son who came and died on my behalf so that I could be the righteousness of you so that I could be living proof that you exist, so that I could be the gospel walking and talking in my neighborhood, so that I could be the words of truth to my children, so that I could be Jesus in my workplace, so that I could know you for eternity and nothing can separate me from you. So much to be grateful for. But yet I think we still, if we think well, we may need to lament just a little if we see the price and we see it well. Maybe as you go this week, um, maybe as you start your morning, uh, each day this week as we're thinking about Jesus and what he's done and who we are as a result, maybe it should start with just, again, that place of a child to their father who happens to be the king, who is in a place of humble submission and humble dependence, maybe we start with thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Jesus. And then we can go into the rest of the things that we need to talk about. But maybe it just starts with thank you, God, for Jesus. We're going to send out uh, through email and on Facebook uh, just a guide of ways to read through this Passion Week and uh, just to be as much in the moment as we can be, to think about him coming into Jerusalem, to, to think about him teaching these last few lessons that he taught, to think about him chasing the money changers out of the temple, even to think about him serving the disciples as a hired hand while he washes their feet. I want us to think well about the things that Jesus did this week, about the person that Jesus was, and about who we get to be as a result. And it should cause a movement in us. It should cause a stirring in me. And it should make me just do it all over again. Thank you, God, for Jesus. So yeah, this week we celebrate. We celebrate God with skin on came as a baby, who taught with truth that he should not have, who lived a life that we could not, who beat death because we could not. And then he pointed us towards the Father and said, come and follow me. This week we celebrate. We celebrate. In just a moment, uh, we're gonna take communion. And that's the point of communion. 
The point of communion is to celebrate Jesus that came, his body was broken on our behalf, his blood was spilled out so that we could be united with God, and we get to do it together. And while this is maybe not the perfect situation, while we're not shoulder to shoulder, um, man, we're still together. We're unified in pursuit. And so this is all we ask as a church uh, when we take communion. Number one, uh, you are a true follower of Jesus. You have uh, repented of your sins, which means you've seen them, you've confessed them, you've turned from them, and you've turned from those in favor of Jesus. Maybe you're watching today and, and you're in your car, or you're in your living room, and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord. I would just ask you to do this, even if you're a skeptic, even if you're a skeptic, and I'm fine with you being a skeptic. I would just ask you to consider Jesus today. Like ask, ask the question, could this be real? Could this be possible? Because there's healthy skepticism, which is a skeptic that is still in search of truth and truth can change their mind. But then, then there's the stubborn skeptic that says nothing's going to change my mind. I encourage you, be a healthy skeptic. Ask the question, could this be possible? Be open to letting something change your mind. Because I'll tell you, it's more than possible. It's entirely true. Jesus came to fix what you could not, and that's you. But you can know him. And it starts with repenting, seeing your sin in light of a perfect God, turning from that, turning towards Jesus and saying, Jesus, I trust in who you were, who you said you were, what you did, your death on the cross to pay my price so that I could be made right with God and so that I could know God for eternity. That can be you today. So we ask that you're that if you take communion. But also, Scripture goes on to inform us a little more that we need to be in right standing, like we talked about last week with repentance and confession of sin, dealing with our sin. Jesus gave us the framework in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we tell God what we've done. We confess it. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We talked about that. Go back and listen if you missed it. But bottom line, we need to be willing to confess our sins and deal with them. If we're a follower of Jesus and there's sin that is uh, battling within us and we have not dealt with that, we need to deal with it. Confess of it. Repent of that. Talk to someone else. Tell God, but also tell someone else so that they can pray on your behalf. Confession brings about healing. We talked about that. And then, if those two criteria are met, you're an active follower of Jesus and you don't have unconfessed and unrepented of sin in your life, nothing standing between you and God, then you are free to take communion. And we're going we're gonna to switch things up uh, really quickly. And when we come back, um, we're just going to take communion together. So today, as a family that is scattered, we're still united, uh, all seeking after Jesus, uh, all seeking to be useful for Jesus, all seeking to celebrate Jesus. Like I said, when we take communion, we, re we look at the bread, and this reminds us that, of Jesus' body. He said, when you take this, remember me. Later, we're told that uh, when we take this, we remember that Jesus' body was broken on our behalf. And so when we eat of that, we remember that. And so we take of the bread to remember Jesus' body. And then Jesus said, when we drink the fruit of the vine, uh, this represents his blood that was spilled for us. Um, and so now we can take of, take of the juice. When we take communion, we're remembering two things. We're remembering the price that Jesus paid, but we're also remembering that he's coming back. And so we can celebrate both. We can celebrate one thing after the fact, but we can celebrate something uh, that's down the road because we know that God is faithful. And he always does what he says he's going to do. And Jesus will return. 
And so we remember his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled out for us. Um, but we also celebrate the fact that he's coming back to make all things right. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. Um, we hope that you will continue to each week. Um, we look forward to seeing you on Zoom calls and things like that in community groups. If uh, you are looking for ways to connect with us, just shoot us an email at originsgreenville at gmail.com. Um, if you need anything from us, please let us know. If you go on the website now, there is actually a, a tab that you can click on to let us know how we can be praying for you. Those prayers are going to our very own Miss Tina Whitworth, who is uh, our resident prayer warrior. And when she says that she's praying for you, you can guarantee that she is. Um, and I look forward to seeing ways that we can intercede for you, that we can pray for you, that we can love you the best that we can. Um, I would also encourage you this week, uh, look for other things to celebrate. Yes, let's celebrate Jesus. Yes, let's celebrate all the things that he did that makes us who we are. Um, but let's look for the other things around us that are going well because of God and celebrate those things and tell someone else about them. We look forward to seeing you next week in which we will celebrate Easter. Yes, Jesus died. He hung on the cross. It was tragic. It was beautiful. It was all those things. But next Sunday, we celebrate the fact that he rose. We look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week.